Welcome to the P Primo Show. It's episode 59. Oh my Lord, how did we get here this fast? Grow your business without the grind. My guest, Kurt Mercadente, is going to show us how. First, let's pay the bills real quick. If you haven't gotten my book, Sell a Million, What Are You Waiting For? If you sell mattresses or furniture or anything, this book will give you 101 tips that will help you make more money in whatever you sell. And please, please, please listen to the next announcement because this is who pays for the show. The Mattress Industry Network is a group on Facebook that is run by retailers for the entire industry. I used to say for retailers, by retailers, but Steve corrected me. It's run by retailers for the entire industry. And it is the largest uh, Facebook group. And it is 100% absolutely free. Over 1,100 members and going strong. If you want to build, market, and succeed in the mattress business, you need to be part of this group. So please, please, please join this group immediately. Tell them Pete sent you. And without a further to do, let's get Kurt on. Kurt, welcome. <laughs> oh, sorry. I was just reading this incredible book and learning how to sell. Thank you. Thank you for interrupting me. Ah, Kurt, you're the best. Get his book. It's it is it's a great book, and there's things in there. I know it says tips to you know for furniture and mattress store owners, but there's tips for any old business person or any young business person, yeah, to sell and grow starting today. So wonderful book. Yeah, my uh, my actual favorite uh, endorsement of the book came from Doug Stewart, and he said, "Take the word mattress and furniture out of the book, and it's it's just a good marketing book." Uh, for yeah. any business. So thank you, Kurt, because uh, you have a very strong background in marketing and that means a lot. So listen, let's get into this. Uh, grow your business without the grind. I know that that word grind get, kind of gets tossed around and it actually grinds on you. So what's up with the grind on grind? Tell Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, you know, I always think about when I when I think of that that line, or when you brought it up, I think of uh, author Stuart Wilde, and I don't know if you if you know who Stuart Wilde is, but he has a book very familiar with him. He makes the case on a regular basis that there's a difference between effort and struggle. There's a difference between effort and struggle. Yet, so many people, thanks to our conditioning and our society and the hustling grind pornographers, who think that effort and struggle equal the same thing. And so many times they think they have to identify as a struggler. They have to identify as a grinder and grind themselves in a gr- into the ground in order to be successful. Well, guess what? If you focus on the struggle and the grind, you're not focusing on your desired outcome, reverse engineering it, and then find the shortest, simplest, straightest line to get there. I'm a fan of minimal effort and not just because, not just, not because I'm lazy, but because I don't want to waste money. We have a fine uh, money and time. Uh, there, we have a finite amount of time on this earth, right? And I don't want to waste time grinding when I could be flowing because every minute I grind in work is another minute that I mess with my mindset, that I make myself not joyful and relaxed. And you know what that spills over? First of all, I'm less effective at work. I'm less effective at sales. I'm less effective at servicing my clients. But then that spills over from a mindset perspective into being less effective as a human being 
being less effective in my self-care and being less effective as a husband and father. So with that said, I'm going to tell everybody, get this book, Five Pillars to the Freedom uh, uh, Lifestyle, Superpowers, Vision, Alignment, Outcomes, and Flow. Kurt dives into those deeply in this book. I have to hearken back to a comment you made. Talked about Stuart Wilde. Mm. Stuart Wilde, um, uh, huge influence on on me and, and my life. And here's a little, it's a booklet, actually. Um, life was never meant to be a struggle. I couldn't remember the name of the book. I have it on my iPad, but yeah. <laughs> it, it's really a booklet and it would take you all of a half an hour if you're a fast reader and if you're a slow reader, maybe 45 minutes. If it takes you more than an hour, that's great. You're taking lots of notes. Uh, life was never meant to be a struggle. And I believe that uh, Stuart Wilde is definitely uh, a, a gentleman who had a very interesting life and some very interesting philosophies that we would all do well to embrace certain aspects of uh, to have a richer, more meaningful life and one that is more aligned and one that is more in flow. That That's for sure. So, um, so let's kind of get into this. I, I am a mattress store owner, a furniture store owner for the last two years. I don't know whether to, you know what, or go blind because they shut my store down. Then they opened it back up. Then I had more business than I knew what to do with. Then the supply chain essentially broke. Uh, broken furniture. Hello, John. Thank you for joining us. Uh, essentially uh, broken furniture and bent severely uh, with mattresses. Then price increases to the tune of uh, mattresses are more than 40% higher than they were at the beginning of whatever you want to call this thing that we've been living through for the last two years. Um, and furniture is 50, 45 to 55% up in price. So with all that, what would you tell my store owners? And right now, business is a little slow for most of them. Um, but it was really good last year. Really, really good. Most of them are up. But the one thing that they all tell me, Kurt, is I'm just not having fun anymore. It, mm -hmm. It's, it, you know, they're doing the best they can to manage expectations with the consumer and let them know, listen, it's going to take longer than the normal. And, and this is what you can kind of expect. It still doesn't keep that consumer from calling them 10 times. And uh, a lot of my dealers are just telling me, you know, Pete, making money. Um, we're doing the best we can for our dealers, but it's just not fun. What's your advice? Yeah, I'd like to address the part about I'm just not having fun part. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Alan Watts, I'm gonna, I'd butcher the quote if I said it, but he said the secret to work and the secret to having a fulfilling life is doing your work and just calling it play and having fun. Because, you know, there's a, one of the most misquoted lines from the Bible is, oh, well, money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not actually the line. First of all, thousands, tens of thousands of years of 
the Bible going through interpretations and reinterpretations and translations in the Council of Nicaea, ripping out books and banning certain books from the Bible and all that. That being said, we do know that the most, the actual translation, if we are to look at a human translation, is that the love of money is the root of all evil. And the reason this is important is that Arnold Patton has a great line where he says the sole purpose of money is to express gratitude. But when we come to look at money as the end-all, be-all, life can certainly not be fun. I mean, the last two years, uh, one of my one of the, the biggest misnomers is we're all in this together. We're not all in this together. There's some people who are flush with cash who were able to sit at home and learn a new hobby, right? People who said that in the early days, remember when we were still in 14 days to stop the spread? Now we're in like 14 millennia to stop the spread. <laughs> but we were told, we'll just stay at home, read a book, learn a new skill. Well, if that ain't privilege, I don't know what it is. If you have enough money to just sit on your cash and sit at home and do nothing, most people can't. Mattress store owners can't. Why? Because their electric bill is still due, right? The product, the inventory they have, they still need to get rid of. If you look at the fun thing, I always like to look at options and there may be no good options, right? You can put your head down, put your head, assume the crash position and wait it out. You can look at other ways to bring in revenue, right? You can you can look for those ways. You can shut it down, right? Or there's a combo of some of those. There's not like a magic fifth or sixth option. But as you do it, if you're not having fun, there's no guarantee, Pete, that you and I don't make it, right, to tonight, to dinner time. I was going to say to tomorrow. There's no guarantee that I don't walk out of here in an hour and get hit by a bus. There's just no guarantee. Right. Now, if that happened, you know, for a little over four years ago, I woke up on a Tuesday morning. I had a seven-figure PR and ad agency. I had grown it. I had scaled it over 14 years, and I had come to be very unhealthy in doing it because I was obsessed with money. And the notion of fun, I put on the back burner. Why? Because I'm a guy. I'm supposed to focus on making the money, bringing home the bacon. I'm supposed to focus on that and servicing my clients. And I was taught, oh my gosh, you got to hustle and grind. Whether or not you're happy or not doesn't matter. And so I felt guilty for that for of the 14 years, about eight or nine years, I was in denial until I hit that wall. And I decided, I literally thought at Tuesday in the morning, uh, Thanksgiving week, I woke up and I was supposed to go to DC for a god-awful planning meeting, like an all-day planning meeting the next week. And I woke up and I said, if my plane goes down to or from that meeting next Tuesday and I die, do I like where I am right now? At this moment, at this present moment, because it's easy to focus on them, marinate the trauma of the past and be anxious about a year or five years from now. I got my five-year plan. I got my 10-year plan. I got my BHAGs. I got all that. But in that moment, I was 100% present. The answer was a resounding no. And I shut down my agency. Well, Kurt, you're so stupid. You kissed all that money goodbye. The love of money is the root of all evil. And when I say evil, yeah, there's Bernie Madoffs in the world and everything, but it's evil because it can take you off the track of living the life that you want to live. You're no good to your clients if you're dead. You're no good to your wife or husband if you're dead. You're no good to your kids if you're dead. And so many people will kill themselves. If you're not having fun and there's tough times, there are things you can control and things you can't control, right? Biden's going to Biden. Viruses are going to virus. If you're not having fun, stop what you're doing. now. You can stop what you're doing in terms of the business you have. And, and you and I have spoken. There's some people who have disappeared into the night, right? They've sold off their business at a song because they decided it ain't worth it. 
It's not yeah. worth it not to have fun on a regular basis. We could all be dead tomorrow. Yeah. Gosh, we should have learned that the last two years. And so that's my advice. Set, put a, put a, plant a flag, you know, uh, in your destination, make the destination the life you actually want to live and reverse engineer it. Yep. And guess what? You may have to give yourself permission to realize that the life you want to live means I'm not grinding with this store anymore. It's not worth my life. Right. So I want, I, I love what you just said about the love of money and money. It's so misquoted. And, I, I, and I'm going to address that, but I just want to read something to you. 1 Timothy 6, NIV translation, which is one of the newer translations, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So it says love of money. So here's the thing that I really want everybody to understand and get. You see something on Twitter, you see something on Facebook, you see something on LinkedIn, and you see it attributed to the Bible, go to the Bible and read it yourself. As a matter of fact, go to the source and read it yourself. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, always go to the source. Never trust anything. Trust but verify. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, to quote uh, former President Reagan. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's interesting when you look at those translations. You know, another translation that has been completely perverted is the, that of the word sin. If you go back to the Aramaic translation, sin means missing the mark. It doesn't mean you did bad. It doesn't mean you're evil. It doesn't mean you should live in guilt and shame, whether or not, you know, I was raised Catholic and whether or not I had that extra cookie for dessert or robbed a bank, it was all on the same plane. You're a sinner no matter what, right? And so, but when you look in the fact that the word sin means missing the mark, and then you look at the fact, wait a second, I'm not having fun. I'm not living my best self because I'm sitting in victimhood and marinating about the Biden administration and supply chain issues. What are you going to do to control that? Yeah. We can't control any of that. Okay, you can go and vote. You can go and do those things, right? Okay, great. Go and do that. But focus on the things you can control, right? Because when you switch that up, you get out of that victim mindset. And I'm not saying feel guilty for being in a victim mindset, but you deserve better than that. Because when you sit there and you perseverate and you marinate in all the problems of the world and you stare at social media and my gosh, this president did this and these supply chains and the Chinese and all that, great. What is that doing for you? It's making you miserable. It's screwing up your mindset. It's causing you actually by the original definition of sin to miss the mark. Because if, you're, if, if you set that mark as having a free and fulfilling life, right? And your mindset and your beliefs and your thoughts get you so angry and upset and triggered that you're going off to the left when your mark is over to the right. By the definition of the word sin, you're sinning, not in a way of guilt and shame and evil and bad and I'm going to be punished. But it's, it's, you're not living the life that you actually want to live. And guess what? You actually can do that. that there's a little secret. You can actually define whatever the hell life you want to live, reverse engineer it and start creating that. So I too was raised Catholic. Um, hey, Ed, great stuff, gents. I have lived the grind and recently broke those chains to find balance. God bless you, Edward Collins. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, I too was raised uh, Catholic and uh, found a lot of the same buckets that you uh, mentioned. What's, I would go back to this. 
if you're own a store currently right now mm-hmm. and you're not happy, the first thing that I would tell you to do is ask yourself, what am I doing that's not constructive? And what could I do better? And get real about it. Because the first time I heard this, I rejected it. And I said, you know, that dude is retarded for saying that. That Now, that was back 30 years ago when we were allowed to say that word. We can't say it anymore. So, challenged. Um, and it was Jeffrey Gittimer. And he said, hmm. stop poisoning your minds. Stop watching the news. And do you want to know something? Not watching the news is the best thing I ever did for my blood pressure and for my mindset. I'm a, the things that I need to do to help my dealers grow their business every day don't change. Doesn't matter who's president, who's to blame for whatever. And usually it's actually Congress or the Senate more than a president, but that's a whole nother thing. I don't even want to get into that stuff. Right. All I'm saying is if you're watching the news a bunch and I don't care what news you watch, just turn it off and stop poisoning your mind. Seriously. And I thought that Jeffrey Gittimer was crazy when he said that. It, it, it was some of the best advice that I ever got. So let's go into this a little deeper. What is your original vision for your business? I'm pulling this right out of Kurt's book, by the way. What is your original vision? Have you drifted from your vision? Is that causing you some misery? What is your mission for being in business? What is your vision? And are you in alignment with that vision? Because if you're not, you've got to find a way to get back home and shake off some of this stuff. And one of the things that I've always said, I am the luckiest man in the world because I've always been able to find joy in my work. And there have been times where I created chains that I actually had to shake off. And I believe that that's possible, but it cannot be possible unless you're aware. You have to have awareness of that. I'm creating a situation where I am not aligned with my vision anymore. I'm putting out two. Here's an example. I'm putting out too many fires and I need to hand off some of this busy work to other people. I need to start trusting some of my employees more to do more to step up. And it might be uh, a promotion with, with some serious supervision, but some people need to step up and you need to step back a little bit. Um, if you are so busy putting out fires as an owner that you cannot take a break and step away and work on your business, and I mean, in a quiet room with a pad of paper and just writing down ideas on how you can better serve your customers. Just doing that simple exercise could be a mind blow mm. for any of you guys. So if, you, if you're to the point where you hate your business, try to find your way back. But I'm 100% with Kurt. I've looked at some of my dealers and after exploring all these things with them, and I've actually had guys and gals look at me and go, Pete, I'm just done. Mm-hmm. And if you're done, then be done and on to the next part of your life. But if you're not done and you're the only one who knows that, 
go through this exercise and focus on what you're creating. Are you creating? And here's something that I really want you to think about. And I'm sorry that I don't want this to come across as cruel or mean, uh, but I've had to do it in my own. If you have in my own uh, career, in, in my own uh, business, if you have employees, if you have customers and you don't like them for whatever reason, you don't like the customers. You don't like the employees. It's you that hired them. It's you that trained them. It's you that either gave them consistent feedback or probably didn't. And now here you are hating what you've created. I feel that I, as a manager, owe it to my people to do three things. And those three things are very simple. One, define the job very carefully with metrics and tools. Number two, give clear and consistent feedback. Now, clear feedback could be yelling at somebody, but that's not going to be done consistently. So I would refrain from bringing emotion into anything that you need to correct, but you have to give consistent feedback. So one of my first jobs, Kurt, was I was the student chief of security at my college. That meant the guys that I played football with, the guys that I wrestled with, the guys that I went to classes with, that I ate every meal with, I had to hire those guys and gals and I had to fire them Mm -hmm. because that group, 18 to 22 to 23-year-olds, is not all going to (laughs) conform to rules and perform at their highest and best levels. Most of them have yet to learn that. And so I learned very early on that the worst thing that somebody could say to me is, you know, Pete, I didn't know. I didn't know what the expectations were. I didn't know I wasn't meeting the expectations. And and I'm very confused about why you fired me. Every time I fired somebody, they said the same thing to me. Pete, I'm sorry I let you down. Why? Because when I hired them, I told them how I was going to fire them. There's going to be three three written warnings. And when you get the third one, you're gone. And whenever I got to the third one, I said, now, what do you expect me to do? Well, Pete, you have to fire me. You told me that when you hired Mm -hmm. me. and, And I'm very sorry that I made you do that. So they understood. and. If that can work with 18 to 22-year-olds, it can work with anybody. And it's very simple. And what all I'm suggesting to you is sometimes we have to look ourselves directly in the eye and ask ourselves, did I create this? Mm -hmm. Usually the answer is yes. Jeff Janakovo. Let me see. This is one of the guys that I... He does not need to be listening to me. He is the epitome of a great retailer. Jeff Janakovo, extreme leadership means owning the successes and failures. If you only take the victory lap, then point the fingers in failure. That's not leadership. Amen, brother. Amen. Thanks for giving us that. What do you say? I know you got a few things you want to say about what I just said. Yeah, I think I think it's key. You mentioned vision and it's being truthful with yourself about identifying the right vision. 
And it's easy. Most of us go through a big portion of our lives like pinballs, bouncing from temporary objective to temporary objective with no guiding star. And we confuse the temporary objective with a vision. You know, early on in this, whatever, 2020, whatever era we want to call this, I said, if your vision has to change because of a pandemic, it wasn't the right vision. And oh my gosh, all these people got so hot and bothered. It was over on Facebook and well, you don't know what it's like. I'm building a photography business and now I can't have people in my studio. Someone else said, well, what if my vision is to build a catering business? It's done. And my simple answer is the type of business you own is not your vision. Your life is bigger than your job. Your life is bigger than what you do to make money. And it's easy, especially, and, and, and it happens to women too, for us guys, we grow up and it's all about being utilitarian get into the best high school, the best extracurriculars so you can get to the best college because then you got to major in this and you got to major in this because you got to make money and you got to make money because you can have the car, right? Those are all temporary objectives. But if your vision is living the life you want to live, you know what? Uh, I just had Dr. Joe Vitale, law of attraction expert, uh, movie star. I think he's got some Grammys too on my podcast. And one of his lines is, you don't need more money, you need more creativity. And so in terms of what you just said, I'm not an expert in the mattress industry, but here's the deal. One of the biggest thing I've seen from business owners across industries over the last two years is I can't do it. I can't do it. Like all these people in the National Speakers Association who get together and do navel gazing, right? Instead of actually going out and selling, they didn't know how to get business. So they said, oh my gosh, everything's shut down. We can't make any business, you know, and they all went out of business. Well, that's a, you're putting a block. If you say, oh my gosh, Biden sucks and I'm this, and you mentioned watching the news, there's an energy block. You're complaining instead of sitting back and using, guess what? We humans, we should not be here right now. Like we shouldn't have made it out of the cave. There's been like four or five extinction events at one point, a volcanic Mount Toba over in uh, near Jakarta, present day Jakarta went off. We were reduced to 10,000 human beings and we're still here. Why? It's not our brawn. It's not our hustle. It's not our grind. It's our creative thinking. We can literally create our, our way out of anything. So if your business is sucking wind, guess what? You may have to employ your creativity. Do things different than they've always been done. You got to define the type of life you want to live, the business that fits into there. And guess what? Joseph Schumpeter wrote about creative destruction. You may have to destroy your business in order to save it. You may have to destroy what you've done for decades because it doesn't work anymore. And so in many cases, we used to live in Charleston, South Carolina, and we'd get these hurricanes coming through. And I remember once we had these big crepe myrtle trees. We had someone come over and they were going to cut it. It was expensive. Well, all we had to do was wait till the next tropical storm or hurricane. Nature had a wonderful way of pruning the trees for free. Over the last two years, people who have not been able to deploy or employ their creative thinking, guess what? They get pruned. It's creative destruction. The rest of you who want to think creatively, you're going to kick their butts because those people are going away because they sat with their thumb in their mouth in the fetal position saying, I can't, I won't, Biden, supply chains. The creative thinkers say, I'm going to do business a different way. I don't care if you're in the mattress industry, if you're in the pool ball industry, if you're in consulting. Figure out a better way to do it. Dan Jordan says, how does an uncreative person come up with ideas? If you are uncreative, you're dead. Every <laughs> single human has the ability to create. That so, is an absolute law. Let me jump in on this. Dan, I love you, man. Thank you for being here. And anybody, let me move my statue of Louis Sear. 
Get Dan's book, Sales Proverbs. It's a great book. Dan, tell you something. You have to, absolutely have to listen to Joe and Kurt, uh, their podcast. Do you remember what podcast number it was, Kurt? I don't. Where Joe, Joe actually, uh, oh, Joe uh, Vitali. Joe Vitali sh- showed yes. you exactly how to create a, a business from nothing. Yes. And there is right there in the middle. Uh, it's freedom of thought. You know, it's the other one. And it's, and it's what to do when you come out of ideas. He actually gave you an idea about building a business, about finding new ideas. He gave it there in real time. Yeah. And I challenge people in my Freedom Circle, my paid group. I said, he gave a business idea. You all have a week to act on it or I'm going to build that business idea and start making money. He gave you the ideas and some people sat there. Well, that's nice. That's nice. He gave you the idea. Go out and create. That's what you were meant to do. And I know Dan is playing devil's advocate. I know. There is not an uncreative person on this earth. If you are, you're dead. Yep. Yep. Dan Dan was stirring it up. And thank you, Dan. We appreciate you. AKA the Deech, the Energizer. Uh, (laughs) I love Dan. Uh, anyway, um, I want to go back to your thing. Wouldn't miss it. Two of my favorite guys. Well, you're certainly up there with my favorite guys, Dan, a.k.a. The Deej. <laughs> uh, Joe Vitale said something that was brilliant. If you see something on social media that triggers you, you need to not look at the person and attack the person that did something that triggered you, you need to work on yourself because there's something in you that needs to be addressed. And that is very true. Um, you know, I, I did not realize, uh, I kind of knew Joe Vitale as a personality. I did not realize the depth of his uh, thought process. I mean, this is a guy that I would put up there with anybody that commands, um, you know, big, big consultant fees because this, this guy's brilliant. He could change the, the trajectory of your life and your business in in a, in a half an hour, actually in a few minutes, he, he is exceptional. And, And the fact that you two do a lot together, just tells me a lot about you. So here's something that my dealers learned. And some of them have been smart enough to keep it and others have given it back. Ladies and gentlemen, you learned that you didn't have to be open seven days a week. You learned you didn't have to necessarily be open crazy hours to nine o'clock at night. You learned that you could close the store at six or seven instead of eight or nine. Don't give that back. Don't give that back. If people want to do business with you, they will do business with you in the hours that you are open. So if you are thinking, I'm closing, I'm closing my store because I'm not going to be open seven days a week. If that's your only reason for closing a store, I just want you to ask yourself one quick question. Could I be happy if I was open five days a week? And if the answer is yes, then I suggest 
You close on Wednesday because it sucks anyway. And you close on Sunday because usually it sucks. So close on Wednesday, close on Sunday, be open the other five days a week and see how that works out. If it doesn't work out and you're still unhappy, then close the thing down. That's just me. <laughs> you know, Pete, it's it's funny. And, and growing up, and, and my dad was my hero. I read about him in my book. He grew up during the Great Depression. He was tough. Yeah. You know, and, and I was raised with that work ethic. But us guys only take that side of the equation. It was a wake-up call at my uh, at his uh, wake. He, he worked on the space program, had patents. Uh, I have them around here. Actually, patents fought, fought the unions to keep factories running. Did all this stuff, right? He was tough. But at his wake, not a single person mentioned his career. And it was a wake-up call to me. And one of the wake-up calls that led me to shut down my seven-figure agency because I realized... I can be responsible as a husband and father, but I can also have fun doing it. And I'm also on a trajectory to die health-wise, spiritually-wise, right? As a husband and father. Right. And one of the things we have to learn is the difference between being tough and stupid. Right. And, you know, I compare it to if you're lifting weights, right? You're doing squats, you're at the gym, and you're sore and tired. Squeezing out an extra rep is toughness. It's pushing through the sweat, and the thing. But if you're doing squats and you feel your quadricep tear away from your knee and you keep doing reps in the name of toughness, that's not stuff toughness, that's stupidity. And so what you're talking about is what we do in the business world too. No, I got to grind it out. I'm weak. If I don't grind it out, I'm weak. And to to use some tough guy vernacular here, right? I boxed for 5 years. And one of the things I learned was when I would go in there and box, I would make clenched fists so tight. My boxing coach, who was a Golden Gloves winner, you know, had all these youth champion, taught me, no, 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 no. A stronger fist and a quicker fist is a loose fist, is a relaxed fist. And so you realize that clenching up and tensing just makes you dumber. That's when you're not creative because you're in fight, flight, or freeze. You're not thinking creatively about how to move forward. You're only focused on, damn it, I'm so mad at the world, et cetera. Now, the other piece, let's talk about another tough guy, Bruce Lee. One of my favorite quotes that Bruce Lee said, they asked him his key to success. He said, the key to success is not in the daily increase. It's in the daily decrease and hacking away at the unessential. Because the closer you get to the source, the less wastage there is. First, you have to know what the source is. We've talked about the vision. Reverse engineer it to find the shortest, simplest, straightest way there. You can earn a lot of money and have fun, but you got to give yourself permission to define what that source is and then strip away all the BS. You know, what you mentioned, whether or not you're open seven days or six days, those are inputs. What's the outcome you want to give? You know, productivity, a lot of people think productivity just means getting more stuff done. It's not. You know, in the old days, if there was a big village and there was a thousand pound boulder in the middle of the village and they're like, we got to move this, they'd have to get a thousand people to come pick up the boulder and move it. Then what happened? We deployed our creativity to create what? A lever or something like that, a crane, right? So the crane now moves the boulder. That's productivity. Productivity is the rate of, you know, the output per the rate of input, right? I like to define it as, Less effort to achieve more of the right outcomes. You don't have to define yourself just by being tough, by clogging more inputs into your day. Define the source. Define where you want to go. Reverse engineer it. Get creative. Yes, you all are creative. And find the shortest, simplest, straightest 
way there. And by the way, the shortest, simplest, straightest way there might be, I got to shut down this business and start it over again. I got to redesign it. I'm in an industry that has gone a, a different way, right? You see, you've seen industries over the last two years that have been forced to change. The only industries that can't or can get away with that are ones that are like federally protected or monopolies like airlines, right? They can get worse and worse and worse, but we got to keep going there. But there's a yep. number of under, other industries that absolutely had to change over the last two years. And the ones that do and think creatively are the ones that survive. The other ones, they're in the graveyard. Yep. Yep. And, and you know, what you're, what you're really saying is use leverage wherever possible. Use leverage. And there's lots of different ways to use leverage. And one of the best leverage points that you could possibly find is working on your business instead of working in your business. Getting sucked into every little bit of drama in your business is not your best and highest use of your time as a, as a business owner. Uh, the best use of your time is really making sure that your vision is what you want it to be that you're aligned and your employees are aligned with it and looking for opportunities to serve your customers in the best way possible. And it might mean copying something from another store. It might mean going outside of your industry and copying something from another industry. You know, one of the things that you said that really resonated with me is the staring at the navel. I, I think that we as an industry, in the mattress industry, we stare at our navel. I mean, I, I see shows that all they do is bring on people in the industry. And I love highlighting some of the creative thinkers in our industry on my show. But I also go outside of my industry on a regular basis to bring the best ideas to the industry that I love. Because I think we, as an industry, stare at our navels way too much and tell ourselves we're great when we're not great. Okay, Dan, what did you got, man? A big challenge for many businesses is attracting and keeping talent. Any ideas, Kurt? Did you hear what I said before? <laughs> the Dage, did you hear what I said before? <laughs> to find the job, consistent feedback. Anyway, go ahead. You answer it your own way, Kurt. Yeah, I think the first part, <laughs> attracting the right clients. Right now, That's businesses huge. realize they are uh, attracting the right talent. They realize uh, businesses have to realize they're in competition. It is a branding challenge for them, right? And um, so you have to you have to communicate in a way to attract the right talent and realize that people right now don't just want money. I mean, there was a poll last year that people would give up a thirty thousand dollars raise just to work from home. So you've got to realize what people want. It's just like sale, right? It's not about you. It's about the people you're trying to attract. Now, you don't want to give up your company culture and vision and all that if it's set and it's a good vision, right? For just for just like you wouldn't want to do that to attract clients. So you bring those people in. Now, in terms of retaining them, I'm big on freedom. Everything I do is freedom. And I have a, a course called Freedom Business Culture. People say, well, freedom, isn't that just apply to entrepreneurs? Well, that mindset is a big reason your people are leaving you and you're not able to retain them. People want a certain amount of autonomy. They don't want to be treated like children anymore. They don't want to be judged. We talk about 
store owners judging ourselves on inputs instead of outcomes. Well, people don't want to be treated like children who are micromanaged just on inputs. You know, on LinkedIn, I saw something recently where someone was for work from home, but everyone was required to log in on like a um, some sort of online portal, video portal. And literally, when he walked into headquarters, all their work from home people were on a screen like uh, like the what is it, the Dark Knight? Remember when they were monitoring everyone? It was like something out of the NSA. When you treat people like robots instead of humans, when you treat adults like children instead of what I like to call as a freedom culture, yeah. set key outcomes for people, allow them and help them and empower them to use their individual superpowers, their strengths. We all have them. I'm a Gallup certified strengths trainer, right? To accomplish those outcomes instead of judging them on, well, um, you came in late. Uh, you started at 8.40 every day and we're supposed to start at 8.30. Those days are long gone. And by the way, as a business, if that's the type of things you're measuring, I'm sorry, but your business sucks and you're going on the trash heap of history. Allow people, we've talked a lot about outcome. Let them, help them define their outcomes. Work with them to define those outcomes. As you said, set expectations of what happens if you don't need them but also be there as a coach, as someone can develop your people of, do you have trouble reaching these outcomes? Yes. Why? Find out. See if you can help them. Work with them. Treat them like an adult. We do this with our children. We do this with our seven-year-old, our 10-year-old, and our 13-year-old. We don't treat them like automatons and just say, yes, no, follow the rules. Here's the outcomes. What would you like to achieve? What help do you need getting there? Do you know that you have superpowers to get there? Help them get there. That's what we're seeing now. People are sick and tired of being treated like the hired help. Empower them, give them some freedom, hold them accountable, like you said, which takes expectations. It takes communication, understanding their behavior style, which is key. But in the end, treat them like humans. There's a great book that I want to give a shout out to. It's uh, Leadership and Self-Deception by the Arbiter Institute. And one of the big things is you're either in the box or out of the box. And it's the key to conflict resolution. Heck, I've used this book to resolve conflicts in my extended family. It's a matter of, and it's something you said earlier about Dr. Joe Vitale saying, if you're triggered on social media, the problem isn't social media, it's something inside of you. Yeah. Every single stinking conflict you have at work or out of work is within you. And Dr. Joe Vitale wrote uh, a piece and and the Arbiter talks about this. Are you in the box or the out of the box? And that's whether or not you're looking at the other person as a human or just something, you know, a task to be achieved. Yeah. And so um, when you realize that things are within you, you can fix those things. And uh, Dr. Joe Vitale wrote a book called Zero Limits with a Dr. Hu Len who passed away uh, recently. And Dr. Hu Len in his book, Zero Limits said, whenever you have a conflict, No matter who it is, anywhere in your life, what's the common denominator? I don't know. You. You were always there regarding the conflict. So maybe if you're the common denominator, look within yourself. And that's the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around because they they feel like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. So I'm going to say something that's very harsh, Uh, Dan. At the end of the day, you attract who you are. You cannot be operating at extremely low levels and attract a high-level person. And at the same time, if you are functioning at a very high level, 
you will attract other people just like you. They will be attracted to you. So you attract what you are at the end of the day. And that goes to keeping people too. And one of the things that I often see bannered around is, you know, I as a business owner don't want to spend money, don't want to invest money in training my people because what if they leave me? And one of the best quotes I've ever seen. Ah, thanks, Dan. You're the best. Um, one of the uh, one of the the quotes back that I've often seen, and I don't even know who said it, so shame on me. Is what if they stay? What if you you don't train them and they stay? Yeah, and they're not as good as they should be. So my thing is this. Really spend a lot of time being picky, attract the right person to begin with and be the right person to attract the right person. But then once you get them and you have given them freedom to get to the end, train them. And when I say train them, I don't mean training them so that they do A, B, C, D. I mean, train them so good that they can just go from A to D and get creative and go to Z and still get the job done. And they don't even have to worry about where you're at. They know where you're at. They know what you said. And you said something along these lines. Get the job done for the customer. Get the job done for the company. And listen, if you make a mess in between, let me know and I'll help you clean it up. So one of the things I used to tell everybody when I hired them, there's only one way to get fired from this company. And that is if you screw up the same way three times in a row, then you're out. It's my magic number, Kurt. Three, three, three. It's, it's the magic number. So if you can find new and creative ways of screwing up in my company, you have a job forever. <laughs> because it means you're growing. It, yeah. it means you're, you know, once you put your you know, your, your feet on the ground and you show me through your behavior, you're unwilling to change. You're unwilling to grow. That's when I have to say goodbye. But as long as you're trying, I'm going to keep trying with you. I'm going to keep working with you. And, and I'll tell you something, the few times that I've had to fire people in my professional life, they were relieved. They knew it was the wrong thing for them. And I actually freed them to pursue something else that really suited their abilities. And, and through, you know, what we went through together, we learned that they were not in the right job. Now, a few times I was able to save them and actually put them in another role with the company and they just absolutely flourish. So for, for what that's worth. Yeah. And, and when you, you mentioned growing and willing to try, yeah, there is the seed of the creativity. And I told my daughter yesterday, I saw her and I said, I, I, she's 15. She's just incredible. And I said, she's got a job. She's working. She wanted to work, you know? And, yeah. and I said, you know, you're my idol. She goes, what do you mean? I said, no one's got it figured out. Anyone who says they got it figured out is wrong. But you're willing to grow and learn, which puts you ahead of 99% of people. You know, and it's in that just willingness. I, if you feel like you're not creative, to Dan's Dan's point, just shift your your mindset from I can't, and it won't, and I'm not creative to. Just say I'd like to find a different one. 
Just start with that little seed. I'd like to find a different way. That shifts. It pivots your mindset, your energy, your emotions in a different direction, and it demands an answer so you can start looking for it. Um, Pete, you know, one thing, and and this is probably going to offend some people, uh, when it comes to a training, a training and, a, you know, attracting the right talent and keeping the right talent, there's been a, a bit of a hubbub. It's one of those viral things that everyone gets angry about on LinkedIn where uh, a woman or a hiring manager posted and, and why she posted this, you know, we can, we can debate and whether or not she was right or wrong is separate from what I'm going to bring up. But she posted, Hey, I had a candidate come in. We had 115 grand budgeted for this position. The candidate asked for 85. I hired the candidate. She said something along the lines of, I don't have time to, uh, to school people on salary and negotiation, right? So people are very angry at this woman saying, pay transparency needs to happen. That's unethical. You know, you shortchanged this person, you know, by 30 grand. You should have been more upfront. This is why pay transparency is needed, right? Okay, so let's put that debate on the side for a second. Right. Maybe she's wrong. Maybe she shouldn't have posted that, whatever. I think we're missing out on another piece of this, which is valuing your worth, charging what you're worth, knowing what you're worth, and doing your due diligence. And this is in the case of the person who went into hire. I went in in the 90s, one of my first jobs, and I interviewed with an online advertising firm. I didn't even know what an online advertising firm was. This was in like 97, 98. And I went in there and they said, what would you be willing to make? And I was in a job where I was making 28000 a year. And I said, well, I'm looking for about thirty-five to forty. Okay, great. I didn't get the job. A week later, I kid you not, the guy I was interviewing with who owned the agency was in Crane's Chicago business talking about... Now, this was pre-bubble burst. Remember the bubble burst like 99, 2000? Yeah. And he said, oh, yeah. This is a crazy industry. We're paying people starting salaries of about $115,000. He asked me what I wanted. I said 35. I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't know my worth, right? Now we can debate, well, that guy should have told you we're really looking for $100,000. Okay, great. Instead of focusing on disempowering that person or the woman who posted on LinkedIn, how about we focus on educating people on knowing their worth? Because this isn't just about hiring. There are people who own businesses. There are people who are salespeople who are so afraid of charging what they're worth, right? Mm-hmm. If I go to a, if I go to a, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? I was going to say a gas station, a garage sale, yeah, right. And I'm going to get into a negotiation. If I go in and say I'll offer you one, and the person would have taken less than that, the onus is on me. It's a negotiation tactic. Do we completely want to disempower everyone from a negotiation and say, well, the other person is unfair? Maybe that person should have disclosed the pay. Okay, we can have that debate. How about educating people? How about empowering people to know what they're worth, to stand up for what they're worth? Because just focusing on disempowering people leads to this imposter syndrome crap and this wanting everyone to be equal, right? In New York City, they're going to force companies to be transparent about their pay. You may think that's right. You may think that's wrong. But how about we empower people to go in, do some due diligence, do their homework, not just go through the motions, value themselves, know what they're worth, right? We only like to look at one side of the equation, which is always disempowering people. And so I I just think that there's an important lesson to be learned there. And everyone just piled on this woman. Okay, great. Maybe she shouldn't have... I don't know why she posted it in the first place. Yeah. Bottom line is no one 
is looking at this person went in without doing due diligence and said, I want 85 grand and they could have gotten 115. Now apply that. Pete, you're in sales, you're in marketing. Isn't that part of our negotiation process on like almost or just about every single sale? Yeah. It's why I, when I first started coaching, I got out of the coaching groups because they were gazing at each other's navels. How much do you charge per hour? Well, you can get 225 an hour. And I have a line. I think hourly work was created by Satan to mess with small business owners. Right? <laughs> if, I, if I was a plumber, I would figure out a way to get on retainer. It's going to differentiate me. I'm not going to be the hired help. I'm not going to be a vendor. I'm a partner with you. But I got out of it. Why? Because they were creating their own paradigm of scarcity, charge to 10, charge to 15. They're focused on the money instead of impact and value, right? They don't know their worth. I know we have a hard stop in a few minutes, yes. Kurt, but I get worked up. You get me worked up, Pete. I know. Listen, I didn't even read, uh, I didn't even do my halftime, and I'm not going to do it because we've got to. We, uh, this is what I want to ask you, and I know you're not going to be able to do it justice. Um, I think that. A lot of what we need to do as store owners, as business owners, to grow our business without the grind has to do a lot with coming to terms with our old programming, shaking it off, being aware of it, and then shifting away. What say you in two minutes or less, my friend? To my left, I can glance into my bedroom. And we had we got rid of all our furniture, sold everything, donated everything we owned back in 2020, 2020 and, and uh, traveled the country. We came into here, Sedona, with an empty house. And we wanted to get stuff. Well, as you well know, since 2020, the pricing on furniture has changed. Yes. We furnished our entire house either through Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, or guess where we got all our mattresses? Because all the mattress stores were too expensive. Some of them were borderline dishonest with us about getting us in there with kind of a bait and switch. So you know what? We went to Amazon and we got a very high quality mattress in bed for less price. Now, I don't say that because I'm in love with Amazon. I say that because I didn't want to pay. I didn't want to go through the ringer. And so that should be a cautionary tale if you're sitting there in your mattress store. Why isn't people coming in? I'm going to blame it on the economy. I'm going to blame it, whatever. Look at what I did. I'm going to find a way to furnish my house. I'm going to think creatively to do it. My first priority isn't helping you. So switch that around. As a mattress store owner, your first priority is getting stuff done. What do you want to do? How can you compete with the Amazons of the world? Or you can be like Blockbuster and say, well, Netflix is a passing fad. And there's one remaining Blockbuster, I think, in Bend, Oregon or something, right? They went the way of everywhere. Creative destruction. So you can get on the horse or you can get off the horse. Either way, it's happening. Figure out a way, figure out a way, period. That's actually that's actually full stop. Figure out a way to get it done. Figure out a way to, to, to get your store owners going. That's not just motivational BS. Here's the deal. I went to Amazon. How many other millions of people are going to Amazon because your prices are too high and the way you deliver them is antiquated? Either fix it, or as our old uh, football coach used to say, shit or get off the pot. Yep. And... And just so you know, you could have gotten a great deal or you could have gotten complete crap. Both exist. Totally. And 
that is a great lesson. And with that, we are wrapping it up. Kurt, thank you for your time. Thank you for helping us to get a little bit more creative and get a little bit more out of our heads. Anybody that wants to get a hold of Kurt, how do they do it, Kurt? KurtMercadante.com or you can go to FreedomMediaNetwork.com. That Joe Vitale interview is there. We're going to have an interview with you soon talking about supply chains and sales. Today we're doing, we have stuff on health, business freedom, spiritual freedom, you name it, FreedomMediaNetwork.com. Awesome. Kurt, thank you. And with that, we are out. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. 